Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome back to our second episode this week with Richard Fortis, and I am joined again by Joe Gore. Hey, how's it going everybody? And uh, as you heard on Monday, we heard a lot about Rich, uh, Richard's relationship with Psychedelic Furs and Guns N' Roses, and, and, how, and he produced the new Psychedelic Furs record, which we talked about, and today we're going to take a deeper dive into his role uh, as a producer and some of the work he's done there. Yeah, he's got an interesting perspective because he's a he's a producer of some note in himself. But in addition, he's um, you know worked with some of the greatest producers on the planet in the context of his various bands. So he's got a lot of wisdom into the production process, both from the uh, producer's chair and the studio floor. And uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. And one name that came up in this episode, Joe, that I uh, sadly wasn't that familiar with was BT. And it seemed like you guys had, had worked with him a little bit as well. Yeah, well, I've never I've never met BT. I'm just a fan. Oh, okay. I've got other friends who worked with him. He's an electronic music genius who started out as an electronica artist and then had great success scoring some very big uh, Hollywood films. And uh, uh, Richard shares some pretty interesting experiences about about that process too. Make sure to rate and review our podcast wherever you get them. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, hit us up at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com. So let's jump right now into our second conversation with Richard Fortas. I was listening to the first time to the new Psychedelic Furs albums, uh, which you produced. It's called it's called Made of Rain, and it's really new. When did it come out? It came out on Friday. And thank you so much for listening to it. It's definitely, uh, it was a labor of love for me, and I put a lot of work into it. It's a it's a it's a beautiful disc, and at, at risk of recapping some of the topics we talked about in the our first installment the other day, um, it was really fascinating how you reckoned with the psychedelic furs tradition. It, it most certainly sounds like a psychedelic furs album, and it's a beautiful showcase for Richard Butler's very unique voice, and it's psychedelic as hell. It is it, right. Oh yeah, but it's you know, but it but on the other hand, it doesn't it doesn't sound like an '80s retread, or you're trying to recapture the sound of Heaven or Pretty in Pink. That's awesome, thank you. You know, I uh, I had a very particular thing in mind when he asked me to to be involved and to produce it. Um, I thought, great, I know what I want to do. I want to do a really stripped down, modern sounding record where everything has its sonic space and you know it's going to everything together we're going to leave lots of room and and boy was i wrong (laughs) because as soon as we started working i realized 
I can't make this into the record I want to make. This is the record. This has to be, I have to have to help them realize the album they want to make. And that was not the record they wanted to make, you know? So the guitar player and I had had this conversation, Rich Good and I had had this conversation and he was like, this is great. I'm totally on board. No chords. I've got all single note stuff, real simple, you know? Yeah. It did not work out that way. But it's, but it's the approach it is, it's very beautiful. It's a very, it's very dense record, very densely textured. It has to be very dreamy. It's, I mean, that's where Tim and Richard gravitate towards, you know, is that, uh, beautiful chaos, you know, that, um, just, really dense really very uh it's thick you know it's that's just what they do and we hear you know there's 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 strings there's a lot of there's a lot of trumpet and and saxophone uh not in a stand-up and solo way but in a textural way no no trumpet just saxophone oh it was just sax okay um mars williams is fantastic and uh really did a great job on this record you know we were richard always has sort of a touchstone for inspiration um, when, when he goes in to do an album. And the first two Roxy music albums were really what was inspiring us. And uh, so really I pushed Mars into that oboe-ish McKay type of thing, you know? He did it so beautifully. Because saxophone's a difficult instrument, isn't it? It's really easy to become cheesy <laughs> with a saxophone you know but he spends what you say about the oboe he spends a lot of time up in the clarino register yeah and it's a it's you know it's this high singing line not it's you know there's no like saturday night live honking you know yakety sax stuff uh, we you know whenever it would go there we would go oh no 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 because you know richard the, there was a period with the furs the midnight to midnight period that is such a sore spot for them. And even though it was a very successful album, at that time, they were poised, you know, after Mirror Moves, they were poised to become one of the biggest bands in the world. Uh, And I think that they look at that album as the mistake of their career because they sort of went for the brass ring in a way that was not true to themselves and... It, they allowed themselves to become something that they weren't and they went for this and, you know, they were hanging out with Duran Duran and, you know, bands like that that were like huge and they thought, wow, we can do that. Yeah. And it, it was a, so it, it, anything that reminds them of that period is an instant bad taste in their mind. You know, they don't, they don't want that. So that really dictated where the sex play you know what role the sax play in terms of the psychedelia that's just very chaotic and it made me wonder if one of the one of the touchstones there was actually more of a 60s psychedelia than an 80s psychedelia like you know i kept i kept flashing on you know satanic majesties and yes magical mystery tour and forever changes exactly okay you're exactly right and richard and i both have a real love of the band love Forever Changes, uh, Odyssey and Oracle by the oh, Zombies, yeah. um, you know, early Velvet Underground, um, which you can definitely hear like Venus and Furs in that song, You'll Be Mine. Yeah. Um, in fact, I do 
I played like the violin line. I, I'm totally ripping off John Cale. Um, and really that's, you know, so th there is that in satanic majesties, you know, that, that whole thing was definitely a big influence and also early Pink Floyd, like the first couple records. And then what, uh, um, you know, switching the angle of approach slightly, um, you know, you've done so much work as a, as a session guy and a on stage guy. Um, what sort of mental shifts, if any, do you have to make when you're stepping um, into the producer role? Uh, have you done producing? A little bit, not to great success. It's it's really it's challenging as a player to just keep your mouth shut sometimes, you know, or to just let you know, and to be patient and to let artists, you know, especially with a guitar player or a bass player, or you know, to let them just do their thing and and before you offer a suggestion you know let them realize their vision before you go what about this you know <laughs> and, and and a lot of times just keeping your mouth shut and being supportive you know and that's that's a real challenge you know instead of you know that's that's the biggest challenge that i found and uh, luckily, you know, I, I love Rich Good, the guitar player that's been with the first for the last 10 years and uh, or no longer, much longer than that. Um, but it's 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 great for, uh, you know, it was great working with him and I love what he came up with. And, you know, but but pulling stuff like that out of somebody um, instead of injecting yourself, you know, that's that's the biggest challenge. Are there some producer can you name some producers that you've worked with that when you moved into a producer role yourself you thought back about things you learned from them oh god yes um andy johns was a big one that was a, a huge influential person in in my musical career um i learned a lot from him also you know there's this joe you know bt you know, I've never, I've never met him. I'm a, I'm a fan. I got, we have mutual friends who've played with him, like, like, like Brain. Okay. He, he, he well, Brain, that came through me, okay. but, um, uh, he was a huge influence on me as a producer, even though he might not have, it's just a collaborator per se, you know, because he, something I'll never forget about him. I've, I've worked extensively with him. And I love working with him because he's always so energetic and so whatever you just played is the greatest thing he's ever heard. <laughs> and, I, you know, that inspires you to really, you love that? <laughs> Check this out. You know, it's like it yeah, inspires yeah. you and keeps you confident and that's something that I, I I always keep in the forefront of my mind when I'm working with somebody in a production capacity um, to be that cheerleader, you know, to be that guy that's like, oh, my God, that's great. You know, that I. I. I, I love that about working with Brian and I want to bring that to uh, or sorry, working with BT and I want to bring that to other 
artists, you know, because it's it, it really is effective. I find. Do you feel an affinity with him? Because I mean, because one thing I know about about BT is he's not just a concept producer; he is down in the weeds with the technical he, details. He's of, a genius. Uh, you know, he is absolutely a genius. But I think there's I, I I from standing outside, I see a parallel with your your stance towards the guitar and your depth of knowledge and breadth of experience and his. Um, I mean, for people who don't follow BT stuff, aside from producing, he's a great software innovator and has, you know, in, it created a lot of techniques that have become very common. He's designed software. He's like yeah. hardcore into the technology and the technique of creating the music. And, and but compositionally, he's amazing. I mean, his film scores are absolutely incredible. And you know, there was a while there where we were doing a lot of film scores together. He, he scored uh, that movie go. And then we did fast and furious. We did uh, um, under suspicion. We did all these movies. There was a bunch of uh, Zoolander. There was like all these big Hollywood movies and he was on top of the world every, and he sort of shot himself in the foot. I think during that period with being, uh, difficult to work with for, you know, but I, for me, he's always been like my brother. Like I, I just, uh, I really love working with him and I really think he's, he's absolutely genius. And now he's starting to really do a lot more film work again, which really is where he belongs because his orchestral work is just outstanding. Cool. Yeah. I envy the experience. I'd love an opportunity to work with him someday. We did a record. I don't know if I told you this. We did a record um, where it was he and I, and we had these basic themes and we improvised. It, it, this was an amazing experience. We, we went to this 150 year old church that is now a studio and they do Atmos recordings. So we worked with, we had JBL send us our, I think it was JBL. So, oh, I shouldn't say that. Um, I don't remember who it was. Sometimes they sent us 28 <laughs> different speakers. They sent us 28 speakers. We set them up all over this church, point, pointing it, all, and then mic'd the speakers. I had a stereo rig, a guitar rig, with all these, all my crazy pedals and stuff. And uh, we basically, he was able to send things to different speakers. So delays would come out of, like a pair of speakers that were up in the corner reverbs were coming out of a different, you know, he would send different parts to, di and in all of this, we were doing, we were improvising and it was an incredible project. And uh, I, I thought the whole thing would be where we would be taking direct lines and then sort of bringing in the, the mics as ambience but it's not at all what it was. It, it's we started out with the mics and then just brought in DIs as support little bits here and there. But it, it it's an amazing project. I, I hope that gets released soon. It, it, it's incredible. I mean, the the whole Atmos recording system is just so phenomenal. Was that your sole experience? Oh, can you explain what it is for for folks who aren't familiar? It's it, it's made up of an array of I think there's like a hundred and something speakers within an Atmos system. There's different forms of different types of uh, systems that they have with different amounts of speakers, and basically you're just it's completely submersive. So you're in this 
um, in the middle of this array of speakers and sound is moving in ways that surround doesn't even come close to, you know, seven one doesn't even come close to it's, and it's just incredible. And it's Dolby that came up with the technology. How do you capture that experience on a stereo recording? Or do you have to be in an Atmos environment? It's not. It, you have to be, it's an Atmos, yeah, you have to be uh, listening on an Atmos system, which is becoming more common with home theaters now, where people are putting in Atmos systems. So what was your kind of introduction to production? When did you first get the opportunity to produce an album for somebody? Uh, probably, I, I worked with a band called Gravity Kills, in New York, their label had asked me to, they're actually from St. Louis. I was living in New York. They had, their label was in New York and they had asked me to do some production work with them. Um, I did other bands for TVT as well, like uh, uh, Apartment 26. There was, there was a bunch of different artists that I was working with. And then, you know, different labels would ask me to produce different tracks for people. Generally, stuff that I was writing and working with the artist. Um, and I had a studio in New York. And that's how I sort of got into it. And then on the second Love Spit Love album, I was a co-producer on that. And also produced that, you know, uh, Love Spit Love did a cover of uh, the Smiths, How Soon Is Now, that was the title track for that TV show, Charmed. It was, we did it for a movie called The Craft. And then, and I produced that track. Um, and that's, so from there, I got a lot of work. It's like your first production job became like the, the main title for a TV show and got used in a major film. That's pretty great for your first shot. Yeah. So to wrap up this episode, Richard, uh, I hear one piece of advice I hear from a lot of producers when they're kind of speaking in generalities is how important pre-production is uh, before you get into the, into the studio. What's kind of your approach to pre-production and what advice could you give somebody uh, who's maybe doing producing for the first time when, in terms of pre-production? I think what I like to do is to strip things down. You, you've got to find the right key for the singer. And that just comes about through experimentation and trying different things. And then stripping things down to the ba most basic elements of the song and then sort of building it up from there. So like when we did pre-production with the first, a lot of it was just me thinking about arrangements and trying out different keys and then sitting down once we had the basic thing with pre-production with the band i then took the song stripped them down got together with richard laid down a basic template for the track before we went in to record and that's that's what i find works well excellent all right well thank you so much richard for joining us today we're gonna be back uh, later this week on friday to talk about one of your all-time guitar heroes so people will tune in to, to check that out and uh, we'll talk to you later then Thank you.